0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Mental Golf Show. As always, I'm your host, Josh Nichols. On today's episode, I want to go back through my recent experience in the 2021 U.S. Mid Amateur in Nantucket. How I played, what I learned, where I finished, etc. And, of course, what you can learn from my experience. But first, I want to remind you about the Mental Game Assessment. You could even say that this episode is sponsored by the Mental Game Assessment, just like every episode of this podcast. If you haven't taken it already, the Mental Game Assessment is a 15-minute golf personality test, basically, that will tell you the strengths and weaknesses of your mental game. I haven't found an easy way to automate this process yet. Maybe I could get some free intern. (laughs) So I hand-create every report and email every one of them back individually. So if you've gotten your report, uh, just know that I did that. (laughs) I created that report and sent it back to you. Uh, But that also means I'm working diligently on getting everyone's back to them as soon as I can. So I highly encourage you to go take the Mental Game Assessment. The link to the assessment will be at the top of the show notes of this episode. All right we got a lot to cover. Let's get into talking about the U.S. Mid-Amateur. If you've been listening for a while or you know my story, then you know the deal. The U.S. Mid-Amateur is basically the U.S. Amateur, but for men 25 years old and older. There's a women's Mid-Amateur. There's a U.S. Amateur that's any age. There's a U.S. Senior Amateur that's 50 and older. The U.S. Mid-Am is for men 25 years old and older. Winners of the U.S. Mid-Am get invitations to the U.S. Open and the Masters. So, yeah, it's a big national USGA event with a lot riding on it. And it's also just like the U.S. Am in that 264 players, I think that's how the U.S. Am does it, but the U.S. Mid-Am does 264 players. They qualify for the tournament. I was exempt. And then once you're there, you play 36 holes of stroke play across two different courses, and then it's whittled down to 64 players to begin bracket-style match play. And as a lot of you know from past episodes of the podcast, four years ago, I finished runner-up in the U.S. Mid-Am and received a three-year exemption into future U.S. Mid-Ams. Now, they canceled the 2020 tournament, So this year was my final year of exemption because of this. My goal was to make it to the quarterfinals, the top eight, because only the quarterfinals and better receive exemptions into the following years or future years tournaments. So with that in mind, with that as my results goal for this tournament earlier this year, I set out to prepare myself better than I have the previous two exemption years. In 2018 and 2019, I failed to make it to match play, mostly, if I can say so, due to a major lack of preparation and general life busyness of getting married, buying a house, and starting Foundations Mental Performance, and this podcast. But this year has been different. Life was much more predictable, and for the first half of 2021, I was able to put in a lot of work on my game. I was going to Robert Limville at Precision Golf School for swing lessons, I was hitting range balls two or three times a week, getting a lot of putting practice, and playing a handful of competitive events along the way. All of this meant that I was actually seeing myself get better, which has been a rare sight over the recent years. While this was awesome to see and the snowball of confidence grew and grew, in August I essentially stopped practicing. Things started getting very busy with work and life. I found myself with very little time to dedicate to practice. I could have pushed myself and found little nooks and crannies of time, but I decided to prioritize my home life, which as I've gotten older has increased in priority, and I'm a better person for it. So I have no regrets. But this meant that I again went into a U.S. mid-am feeling physically unprepared. I had hardly worked out, hit a ball, or putted in the two months prior to September 21st the day of our departing flight. While I have no regrets, I won't lie, I was annoyed at myself at the time, uh, about a month ago at this point. I was angry that for the third time in a row, I had let another USGA event sneak up on me. And this one had a two-year lead time on it because there was not even a tournament last year. So I knew this whole time that I would be playing this tournament, and it would be my third and final exemption, and I would have this kind of one final chance, and I still let it sneak up on me due to the months, the, the couple of months prior to the actual tournament. But I said to myself, hey, you're a golf mental coach, and come on, you're host of the Mental Golf Show, the best podcast in podcasting. <laughs> you have tools in your toolbox that others don't have. So what I lacked in physical preparation, I was going to make up for in mental and strategic preparation. I knew I had good game in me. I from the from 2021, from what I'd seen in myself, I knew I had good game in me. Robert Robert Limble told me at one point, "The way you're playing is very good. You this is it's it's kind of crazy how good you're playing at this point." So, I knew I had that good game in me. I just needed to let it show once I got there. And, you know, as I always say, the purpose of the mental game is to give your physical game the best opportunity to show. So my priorities for the week of the event were to know the course as well as I can before ever even arriving. I want to knock off the rust as quickly as possible. I wanted to stay as rested between rounds as I could. And above all else, prioritize a good mental frame of mind for the entire week. So how did I address each of these areas? Let's start with knowing the course. I've been learning a lot about course strategy as of late, thanks to following guys like Scott Fawcett of Decade and Lou Stagner, who seems to be a partner of his, Um, both of those guys on Twitter as well as working with Robert Limville, my swing coach and mentor, on knowing what he calls the law of average shots. Basically, if you can know what shot pattern you hit on average from a given distance, then you can aim for it and be okay with any shot in that pattern. Now, Scott Fawcett with Decade has made this kind of thinking very popular and very palatable and easy and digestible. Um, over the last few years but Robert has been talking about this kind of thing for decades so Robert has a lot of um, knowledge built up and and statistics built up with the players he's worked with so learning from him how how to think about my average shot and playing for it um, he's a great source for it. I also learned from watching a Scott Fawcett YouTube video where he mapped out Kiowa Island Ocean Course for this year's PGA Championship. Um, we, I actually covered that PGA Championship in a previous episode about Phil Mickelson. I think it was an awesome episode of what you can learn from Phil from his PGA Championship. But Scott shows how he does this on Google Earth. He basically marks a point at the tee box and then a point out in the fairway at the distance the player expects to hit their drive. So he does it at like 300 yards. I do mine at like 275 because that's how far I expect to hit my driver. And at that 270 275-yard yard point, you do a spread of about 65 yards at that point. So that 65-yard spread is the, the, as he calls it, the cone of dispersion or uh, as Robert would call it, the law of average shots. So my average shot could go anywhere in that 65 yards. And then extending from the tee box through the middle of that 65 yard dispersion, a long straight line to a distant point uh, downrange that will inform you where to aim. So uh, this wasn't a great description. So I'll link to the YouTube video in the show notes. You'll be able to check it out. It's really good. You could kind of do it yourself. Uh, Scott has a great program that I would encourage anybody to use. A lot of my players use decade. Um, so I would obviously encourage anyone to use that. Um, but if you want to fiddle around on Google earth and, and just map a course, it's doable. Follow his advice. So I did this mapping process for both courses I was going to be playing, as well as looked at any photos or videos I could find of both courses. I was watching flyovers, photo slideshows, whatever, whatever I could get my hands on. So just like my pre-tournament goal stated, I felt like I knew the courses before I ever even arrived. I really did. I felt like I knew these courses. I was doing so much research on them. And I'd never really done this much research on a course. I really... Waited till the practice round to get my yardage book and learn it. Once I got there, this gave me a whole, a whole new level of confidence and level of excitement and anticipation, and I just felt a lot less surprised once I got there. I think I think that was an awesome way to go about it. And in addition to this, we had the opportunity to stay at a host home for the tournament, uh, provided by the. USGA. They did an awesome thing connecting us with host homes. Our hosts, funnily enough, were a pair of 86-year-old twin ladies, B and Annie. Yes, it was as interesting as it sounds. Those ladies were awesome. They were like spunky and had millions of stories, and they were home cooking us meals. Uh, it was just awesome. Great, great ladies. But the beneficial thing for golf to this was B is a member at both Sankety Head, the main course, and Maya Comet, the co-host course. And she knows every blade of grass on both of those properties. So we got to Nantucket two days prior to the first practice round. And on our first full day, uh, B took us on a tour of pretty much the whole island of Nantucket. And two of our stops were Sankety and Maya Comet, the two golf courses. She familiarized us with the areas surrounding the clubhouses, and we got a much better idea of what these courses and the weather conditions were going to feel like. And as simple as this sounds, this actually went a long way to helping me be ready to play. Just being familiar with what I'm going to be seeing once I arrive at the course was very important to my comfort level. And even further, I put in a good session on the green and the range the day before the practice rounds which was part of my knocking off rust goal. So I'm doing, this is three things that I've done already that I've never done in a tournament prior. I've never done this much research on a golf course with mapping it out on Google Earth, with watching slideshows and videos. I've never taken a tour with someone who is a member and had them tell me, this is this and that's that and there is the range and the chipping green and there's the clubhouse and there's the 18th green and the first tee I've just I've never done those two and and believe it or not I've never practiced the day before practice rounds I I seem to always come screeching in the night before a practice round and I I feel rushed and have to quickly get to the golf course the next day. And I don't really get to learn anything about the course. I don't ease into it. I have to rush into it. So I've done three things already that have, like, as you'll see, have a really good effect on how I play. So now we get to the practice rounds where I exercise my strategy goal and my knocking off rust goal. It's time to, like, put those into, into play. As you know, I had marked up my yardage books. With the notes I made for my Google Earth mapping, and I tested these strategy notes once I got out there. Despite the undulation of the course and the weather being impossible to prepare for beforehand, you can't can't tell that on Nantucket it's just about always a 20 to 25 mile an hour wind. And you from a Google Earth point of view, you can't see the slope and the undulation of these courses. I still felt like I had seen these courses already, just through my strategic preparation. This process is something I'm going to do before every tournament I play in the future. for sure. While testing my strategy, I was also working off the rust that had built up on my game over the past couple months. I wasn't hitting it very well, I'll be the first to tell you. I had a two-way miss, and in a USGA championship you can hardly have a one-way miss, let alone bringing in both sides of trouble. So, I patiently struggled through the bad shots in those practice rounds, and I found feelings in my swing that I could rely on to send the ball in a predictable direction. When I'm at a tournament, that's all I'm really looking for. It doesn't have to be perfect or pretty or the exact shot shape that I dream of. It just has to be predictable. So, I've familiarized myself with the course, and I've knocked off rust of my game. I felt like I knew the courses as well as anyone could in my position. And my game was in a state that I could work with. Both goals accomplished. Now, the third goal that I had was restfulness. This restfulness goal, it was easy. (laughs) Just do very little between rounds of golf. Yes, we did touristy things between rounds. We went to the Nantucket Whaling Museum. We bought some souvenirs from shops, spent a lot of money. And we went to a fancy candlelight dinner, speaking of spending a lot of money. But as a whole, we prioritized rest and relaxation. So now it's time for the first round. As you remember, it's 36 holes of stroke play. So this is the the first of those two stroke play rounds. We had a very early tea time for our first round of stroke play. And that meant that I e- had even less time to dwell on what I wished my game was and I had to accept the way it was and play it. At this point, the preparation was over. I had to switch into playing mode. Any thoughts of technique or mechanics or fighting against my game, those will be counterproductive. It's time to play with what I've got, even if it's ugly. So the first round starts off well. I'm hitting draws that I love, and and I was hitting draws on the range, But even more than this, as I mentioned earlier, I had prioritized a good mental frame of mind for the entire week. Now that frame of mind, it could be summed up in two words. Quiet mind. Quiet mind. This was my mantra over every shot I hit. I wanted to eliminate the noise that always fills my brain in tournaments like this. Thoughts like, I need to swing like this. What went wrong on that one? Don't hit it there. You need to take advantage of the wind being still. If you play well, you could win. You know, maybe you could relate to some of these thoughts. There is so much that can interfere with just letting your talent take over and letting your preparation show. So this was my mission, to have a quiet mind over every shot. Now, just because it was my mission doesn't mean that I nailed it. There were stretches where I had a thousand things going on in my head. But Kayla, my wife, and also caddy for the tournament, Her and I both knew that if I can quiet things down, I can hit good shots. We experimented with this during the practice rounds and throughout that first round, we noticed I would give her feedback. I would talk it through with her. And this is good advice for you. Talk things through with a caddy or someone in your cart or whatever. If you're in competition, it's just you. So you can't really do that. Or if you're a college golfer, talk it through with your coach like what is helping you hit good shots what feelings are helping you what thoughts are helping you so we knew from that feedback i was giving her that when things were quiet in my mind i was breathing i was staying calm i was staying quiet i was keeping the noise away and i was just hitting it i can hit good shots so i shot a one over par 71 in that first round now the wind which, as I said earlier, was usually blowing somewhere between 20 to 30 miles an hour. It's just kind of constant. But it was eerily calm for most of that first round. It was strange. It was like the quiet was almost eerie. But by the last handful of holes, the the wind had picked up, but we had missed the bulk of it. Nonetheless, if you had told me the week before that I would have shot a 71 in the first round of the U.S. Mid-Am, I would have been surprised so i was very pleased with my 71 but even more so i was ecstatic with how well i stuck to my process of having a quiet mind now due to some delays because of fog our second round which was supposed to be at noon the following day ended up being at 4 pm so we had a really long time between rounds now enter the restfulness goal in past years i can remember i would have been restless and i would want to go exploring Uh, this new place that we are and I would end up burning a lot of precious energy and Kayla would too. The last two U.S. Midams, she was caddying for me and we would both go do things when we had a long period of time between rounds and we just ended up tiring ourselves out and not remembering that we've got five miles of a round of golf to play under intense pressure with, you know, very physically and mentally exhausting rounds. But this time we learned from our past, and we rested as much as we could. So by the time 4 p.m. the next day came, I was feeling good and ready to go. Now, despite this, it was a rough, slow start to that second round. I was really fighting my mind because I knew if I could play a decent round, I could make it through to match play. I was getting ahead of myself and thinking about results. So we had to reset and recommit to having a quiet mind on every shot. The horn blew due to darkness on our 10th hole where I finished with a bogey, but even with that bogey, I felt great about our reset to prioritizing having a quiet mind. The next morning was a 7 a.m. start on our 11th hole, which meant waking up at about 4.30. This was tough, as you can imagine, but because of our good rest discipline, it was manageable. This was one of the best stretches of golf I played the entire tournament. My swing felt good, and my mind was clear. I started these final eight holes at plus three for the tournament and played them in two under with six pars and two birdies. The cut ultimately ended up at plus two, so I played well enough to get into match play. This was so exciting because the preparation I had done over the last week or two actually showed through and I played well when the pressure was highest that last eight holes was awesome it was just a confirmation of everything that I had worked on and knew and had learned so on to match play I made it through the round of 64 match was played against a player named Stephen Hale Stephen was three up through nine holes and playing extremely steady while my lack of preparation was starting to show Something I've noticed about myself is the more tired I am or the higher the pressure, the more I fall into bad habits. And the the previous epi- episode to this is, is um, what happens when you play under pressure. Why, like how to play better under pressure. It's all about that. So I encourage you to go back and listen to that. But um, for this, I lived it. So both physically and mentally, I fall into bad habits the higher the pressure gets, and the more tired I get. The pressure was building, and this had been the most golf I had played in a row in months. Seriously, since like a golf trip I took back in February, I had not, this was my fifth day of playing golf, it was starting to add up on me. But Kayla and I, just as we had done in stroke play, we reset and recommitted to our priority of having a quiet mind. On the front, I was beginning to let thoughts of technique or being down in the match or plans for when I lose all creep into my mind. I was letting that happen. So at the turn, we doubled down on having a good mentality on every shot and just letting the result happen. I won the 10th hole, then the 13th hole, and then the 15th hole to bring the match back to Tide. We we tied the last three holes and had to go into a sudden death playoff. I made one of the best swings of the day on the 19th hole tee shot, but the ball went too far and found a fairway bunker. He hit his second shot onto the green to about 20 feet. So, now it was my turn. I had 72 yards to the flag from the fairway bunker, not usually recognized as one of the easier shots to have, but I felt really good about this one. I felt a sense of calm and quiet and I remembered the times from years and years ago playing my old home course Maple Leaf and having this exact same shot. So I knew just how to play it. I hit my 60 degree, and the ball took one nice big hop forward and then stopped dead by the hole, about 12 inches away. Easily the highlight of the tournament. It was such an awesome moment. It was so cool. Steven uh, conceded my birdie to me, and he missed his, and the match was mine. So, as proof of having a better mentality, being a factor in how I played, on the front, I shot five over. The front nine, where I was fighting all those bad thoughts. I was letting bad thoughts come into my mind. And after refocusing my mind, I played the back in even par. Now, this is not usually a score, five over, that will win a match in a USGA championship. But the greens at this course were very difficult, and the wind, like I mentioned, was at a constant 20-25 to miles an hour. So, it was less about your score, and more about how you handled the conditions, and yourself. Now, my next round, my next match in the round of 32 was against Richard Skip Berkmeyer. Skip, I looked him up, is ranked inside the top 500 in the World Amateur Golf Rankings, and... I learned is a very steady player. There's a reason why he's ranked that well. However, this match, despite his kind of, uh, I guess, he, he had a better seed in the tournament. He's ranked better than me. He, and on on all accounts, he's better than me. But this match started in my favor. I played the first four holes. I played the first four holes in three under, and I got off to a four up through four lead. This stretch rivaled those final eight holes I played in stroke play as the best stretch of the tournament for me. I was energetic and happy, and my mind felt very quiet. I was just playing golf, which is exactly how I always want to be. The rest of the front finished out with Skip winning a couple holes and me winning hole nine, ending in a three-up lead for myself going into the back. But this is where the tides shifted. The start of the back nine is brutally difficult, and I believe I was getting tired and my mind started to waver. I remember being extremely focused, yet still having thoughts of how well I was playing and how if I continued playing this well, no one could beat me. So, letting bad thoughts come into my mind again. So this led to me making some mistakes. What would have been pars on the front, or the match before or during stroke play, turned into bogeys on the back nine. And all the while, Skip never made a mistake. In fact, the entire round was him just steadily playing his game. He was so steady and solid. Skip won 10, 11, and 13 to tie the match. We tied 14 through 18 and went into yet another sudden death playoff. I remember how much was going on in my head at this point, standing over that 19th tee. I had to do everything I could to quiet myself down. We tied the 19th hole, and on the 20th hole, as usual, Skip hit his drive in the fairway and his second shot on the green about 25 feet. This was just kind of his, his MO. He did this all day. I had about 60 feet for my birdie. I thought it was going to be much faster because it was howling downwind, but I left it about 12 feet short. He lagged his to give me range, so I had to make my 12-footer to extend the match. I never quite felt great on this one with the wind whipping and the pressure at its climax. I just couldn't make a smooth stroke with so much going on in my mind. I missed it and my U.S. Mid-Am was over. Skip was a worthy winner of that match with his simple game and lack of errors and my lack of preparation and increasing battle against my own mind caught up to me eventually. But overall, It was obviously an amazing experience. USGA events continue to be the most well-run tournaments I've ever experienced, and it was an amazing trip to Nantucket. Even with not reaching my results goal of making it to the quarterfinals, I was still pleased with how I went about playing this tournament. So, here's my main takeaways that I learned about myself that I need to take forward into future tournaments, and, of course, I think you can learn from these as well. So there's two of them. One, I need to work on my ability to hit shots without much thought. And two, I need to be in better physical condition. So a general rule of thumb, in order for us to give ourselves the best chance to hit a good shot or putt, we need to be focused, committed, and trusting. Those are three pillars of the mental game that that will help you have the best chance to hit a good shot or putt. As we know, that's the purpose of the mental game after all. If anything is undermining any of those, undermining your focus, commitment, or trust, then you won't be giving yourself the best opportunity to hit a good shot. For, this, for me, this means having a very simple mentality and being able to just let it rip without any second-guessing. And just like everything in golf, this can be improved through repetition. This is something I need to improve through practicing more and going through a good pre-shot routine much more than I did in the lead up to this tournament. Simply reinforcing a good mentality in practice over and over and over can go a long way to being able to do it under pressure in the biggest moments. And something that goes hand in hand with that, with having that better Uh, mental process is being in better physical condition. Your mind and body are completely intertwined. So when one is lagging, the the other suffers for it. Um, I'll link to an article that kind of details this, so I'm not just making this up. If you're tired, then your mind will be held back by that fatigue. You won't be as sharp or as quick as you are when you're well-rested. So a good way to combat this is to raise the threshold of your fatigue. The harder it is for you to get fatigued, the longer your mind will be able to stay in a good state. So how am I going to do this? I'm going to do this through better and more consistent workouts. I was I was really slack about my workout and my physical conditioning and my diet in the months leading up to this U.S. Mid-Am, and I think it showed. My my legs tired throughout the tournament, and that just led to physical errors and my mental fatigue happening as well. So, you may say duh to these two takeaways, but these are much easier said than done. It's very easy in life to just coast and then expect to perform at a level much higher than your regular day to day effort. But as we know, there are no flukes in golf, your game is a direct result of your preparation. So the time you put in between rounds or tournaments is essential. So I hope my experience in the U.S. Mid-Am has helped you realize something about yourself or perhaps shown you that the mental game can help you squeeze the most out of your physical skill and the importance of preparation on both your physical skill and your mental skill to be able to address both. And if you have thoughts about any of this or questions, you should head over to the Mental Golf Show Facebook group and let the community know what you're thinking or what questions you have. Or if you'd like to take the next step for your own mental game, I work with players one on one as a mental coach. So for information about working with me, send an email to foundationsgolf at gmail.com. That's foundationsgolf at gmail.com. And again, if you want to learn a little more about your own mental game, and get some insights that you may not have known about yourself, I encourage you to take the mental game assessment. Links to all of this will be in the show notes of this episode. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Mental Golf Show. I'm Josh Nichols. Remember to always commit, trust, and accept. We'll see you next time.